KRCL, Salt Lake City. Support for Radioactive on KRCL comes from our sustaining members and Mark Miller Subaru. I'm Nick Burns, and this is Radioactive, and we are, of course, your show for grassroots activists, community builders, punk rock farmers, DIY creatives everywhere. Tonight on the show, arts, culture, environment. Wow, three things that kind of work for me most days. So keep it tuned for an update on the Great Salt Lake Collaborative, including work from the Utah Film Center, the SLCC Community Writing Center, and we've got another edition of the Collaborative's Lake Effect podcast. Later on the show, Culture Connect, kind of like that name, Culture Connect, debuts later this month. This is a two-day gathering which builds connections, improves people's professional and business lives all across the culture industry. We'll get a preview of Culture Connect as well as talk about the economic impact of the arts, something that we don't hear a lot about. But man, we're talking 100,000 100, jobs, $17 billion, $309 million in total tax revenue, that's right here in the Beehive State. We'll talk with Crystal Young Osterman, Oster Strom, excuse me, and Ernesto Banderas from the Utah Cultural Alliance. Right now, Laura Jones, hi. Hi. I like that we're talking about this because the Arts Fest starts tomorrow. Yes. So we're we're all about arts and culture. So rallies and resources. Yeah. We got a couple different things going on. We do. We're gonna get to the Great Salt Lake Collaborative. We're gonna get to Emily Pitch from Students for the Wasatch on the Gondola in Little Cottonwood. But I did want to remind folks the Utah Arts, arts Festival Fest. starts <laughs> tomorrow. It's back in June where it's uh, supposed, supposed to be. To be. They uh, put it in August last year, trying to pull together, and then the year before that, of course, canceled because of COVID. And that's one of the questions I think I have for our arts panel is, you know, uh, a 17 billion strong arts and culture economy, is that is that COVID accounting or is it supposed to be bigger? Yeah. What's going on? How are folks doing? Are artists getting back to... You know the commerce side of making right art. there's there's some artists are, artists are getting back to what they used to do on stage shows and whatnot but many artists have yeah. become incredibly creative with zoom and other mm -hmm. sort of social media avenues for the arts so yeah. pretty cool also up in park city as you may well know the park city latino arts festival is going on at a variety of locations through the 26th so do check out rallies and resources you got busker fest coming up on the 24th and 25th on main street in downtown salt lake uh, and then all sorts of other things. It's festival season. If you go to krcl.org, Nick, at the top of the rallies and resources page, I've tried to put all the festivals at the top as well as it's, other stuff by date. It's one-stop mm, shopping for festivals yeah. over the summer in Utah, yeah. which is which is what we are all about when the weather's good. So something that caught my eye was this event going on. I think it just wrapped up. That's why we have Emily here with us. Emily Pitch, students for the Wasatch to report back. But what do you think of a gondola in Little Cotton? I'm kind of... It's kind of a romantic notion to me when I see gondolas in other parts of the world. I like taking them. What do you think? Well, certainly when I have friends and family come and visit in Utah, we always go up to Snowbird and go up to the top, and you can walk back down or walk around. Uh -huh. I'm a little bit concerned about this particular gondola because in some ways the cable seems sort of rammed down our throats, mm -hmm. um, and it won't really help for all the people that want to do everything else in the canyon in the summer and the rest of the year. But I certainly admit loading your skis on the gondola and taking a zip up to Snowbird would be pretty cool yep. as long as we have snow. <laughs> Well, you know, I was up in Logan on Monday and there was some snow that had come down with the lowered temperature. So who knows? But I do remember over the years, as I'm sure you have had these conversations, too, with different folks, meteorologists and such. 
you know, it was 10 years ago they were telling me by 2030 no snow uh, in the valley floor here. So it's going to change the face of the ski industry and the tourism industry oh. as snow fades from the Wasatch, I feel like. Yeah, and all the, the ski industry folks all came together 20 years to form a group, you know, like, yay, snow. But mm -hmm. what have they accomplished? You know, it doesn't seem like we've accomplished yeah. a whole lot when we're busy building railroads to move oil around. But yeah. The still, reason you need the gondola is because there's so many people going up the canyon. Right. There's more and more people seem to want to ski. That's true up at the Park City Resorts also. All kinds of fracas generated over parking. Uh, they, you know, one of the resorts. Um, They're going to start they, charging some massive fee I read about oh, recently. If only people would ride the bus. And they <laughs> built that great big parking lot. You can park there, ride the bus. All the buses in Park City are free. Yeah. Many of them are electric. It's like why people want to drive around Park City is beyond me. Yeah. Well, let's find no. out from our, our student here to report out from Students for the Wasatch. Emily Pitch, welcome to Radioactive with Nick Burns and me. Thank you. It's great being here. So there is your group, Students for the Wasatch, and there was just an event earlier this afternoon, and you just rushed over here. Thank you. Tell us about that and what's going on with your group and this <coughs> gondola. Yeah, so there's a lot of different organizations within the Salt Lake community that are opposed to the gondola, and one of them, Save Our Canyons, organized the event, and they invited various legislators, like state representatives and senators, um, as well as local elected officials, and people kind of gave their blurb about what they want to see for the canyon and why they're opposed to the gondola, and there was a really good turnout. So. Oh, good. And in terms of elected officials, were they also yay and nay for the project, or were they pretty much on board, it's going to happen, or um, can you say? Well, people are opposed to the gondola as far as yay, nay goes, but... Ultimately, the decision is probably going to be made next January or February okay. during the state legislative session, and it's definitely not a done deal. People Ooh. think it is, but... Yeah, I thought that. I thought no. it was a fait accompli. <laughs> UDOT, they're the, the Utah Department of Transportation, are the lead agency on this issue, and they haven't even come out saying that they want to see the gondola or their other proposal, which nobody is talking about at all. And there are other proposals right there's buses there's another lane in the road there are snow sheds right. um, which to me some of those ideas seem like they would serve <clears throat> the recreation needs year-round not just ski season yeah so the two main proposals are widening the road for a bus lane or obviously the gondola but people aren't really advocating for widening the road what we want to see is improving the current system which is obviously the bus system without roadway widening and you mentioned why don't people take the bus when in fact they are super crowded and so people really do take the bus well okay so thank you for that the buses are there and the buses are crowded so the plan would have to be more buses yeah. more often and then where do you put the cars because everybody will want to drive to the bus stop right and then yeah. i know there's not in my backyard people when it comes to bus parking it's very complicated yeah it is complicated but you know, when I talk to someone random who's never heard about this, first they <laughs> might think like, oh, the gondola sounds like a good idea. Then I give them more information about it. And they, they're like, what the what the <laughs> heck is going on here? Um, like, why don't we improve the current system? And UDOT narrowed their uh, location uh, so small to basically just Little Cottonwood. And so they're trying to funnel traffic from all over the valley just to Little, or from all over the Salt Lake Valley just to Little Cottonwood. 
Um, and ideally, we'd be able to dis disperse that traffic by having mobility hubs like up here in downtown and then maybe in Sugar House and elsewhere within the valley so people don't have to drive 20 minutes to uh, the mouth of the canyon in order to get on a bus. So you mentioned a bunch of reasons to not have the gondola. Take us through some. Um, first of all, it will require construction in our watershed, and the director of Salt Lake Public Utilities was one of the individuals who spoke, um, Laura Breifer. She was speaking about how construction will uh, or has the potential to compromise our water quality, and the increased infrastructure within the canyon will also degrade the runoff into our Little Cottonwood Creek watershed. Um, also, taxpayer issue is huge. It will be probably a billion dollars at this point of taxpayer money going towards one infrastructure project in a canyon that most people never visit. And so that's your money. It doesn't matter if you've ever been in the canyon because you're going to pay for it. <laughs> right. Whether you ski, hike, bike, it won't matter. Right. So this notion of what they're going to build and the potential to water, I mean, we're talking 100-foot-tall, 200-foot-tall steel towers. Yeah. Somebody's going to have to build trucks or access to get all that stuff up there, pour the foundations. It just seems like a mess. Yeah, they honestly, they haven't thought through it very well. I have hmm. basically read UDOT's statement, the environmental impact statement, where they outline the water quality um, and all of these different it's basically like the holy grail of what is going to happen here. <laughs> and <laughs> they haven't outlined the, um, the actual infrastructure uh, details that are required to propose a eight-mile-long gondola. They don't know where the, or how big the bases are going to be for the gondola or where they're going to put these poles. They don't know if it's going to be a four-legged pole or a single-legged pole. It's just there's a lot of unknowns that really... Well, kind of hard to say it's going to cost a billion dollars if you don't know what you're going to build. That's a little bit awkward. Yeah, well, that, <laughs> <laughs> that is true. So your group, Students for the Wasatch, you're against this. Save Our Canyons, fairly much against this. Mm -hmm. um, who else for this? Yeah, beyond beyond so the ski resorts, I presume. There is a quote-unquote coalition of, it doesn't matter what they call themselves, it's called Gondola Works. And if you go to their website, you will see the companies that make up Gondola Works. And to summarize them without naming them, they are the people who are going to economically benefit from this taxpayer gift. It's kind of like building a great big football stadium when the public pays for it and the private people make the money. Exactly. Uh, so what are you? So just to wrap up real quick, because I know Emily, we can't keep you. And thank you for hustling over here to join us on the show with this event that just stopped. What's your proposed alternative, so folks know? What do you recommend? We want to see a better bus system. Okay. So just improving the current system, and we'd like to see electric buses. It's a common misconception that electric buses won't work in the canyon because it's steep. But what? Our, yeah, I don't I don't know. There's misinformation everywhere. Um, but our group actually took an electric bus from the university all the way up to the end of Little Cottonwood and it made it. It made it. And of course, it got all the batteries charged coming it did. back yes. down. Pretty cool. Well, for folks who don't know, I live in Summit County. We have gobs of electric buses and they go all over and they're free and people ride them. So it is possible. Yes. So what's next? 
Next, UDOT is going to come out with their final decision, gondola or widened road. Um, I don't maybe they'll throw something out of left field. Hmm. We have no idea what they're going to say. And then the state legislature will decide whether to fund it or not. So the most impactful way that you can be involved in this is probably to contact your state elected officials. Some of them are probably up for re-election, but to keep that in mind when thinking about who you're going to elect. We're back to vote, vote, vote. Emily Pitch, students for the Wasatch, thank you for taking time to chat about this. It's a huge billion-dollar deal um, that would change the canyon forever. Yes. And again, like you say, there's a bunch of people who will profit, which makes me nervous. Thanks for coming in. We'll put a link in the show notes so folks can check out your group and the cause. When we come back, Great Salt Lake Collaborative and Nick to get us there a little. My name is Alan Salt Lake Campbell, City. And oh, well, oh, we just had the whole computer do its little dance. I'm gonna just gonna reset here for one second if you'll bear with me, Nick, because I wanted to get the Beach Boys in there. Yeah, you there know, was an appropriate Beach Boys song. song yes. And uh, here we go. Click I, it. I just got to get the computer to cooperate. It's doing this double play thing. We're trying to figure out why it's doing all these weird things. So uh, I am just going to have to vamp as we get here into the song and try it this way. One, two. I got two things playing at once, Nick. (laughs) So why don't you talk about what's coming up on the show and we'll get the next guests in here. Great. So coming up on the show, the Great Salt Lake Collaborative, we've got one of their podcasts, the Lake Effect podcast. We're going to have an episode of that. Also joining us, Katie Lewis from the community, the Salt Lake Community College, rather Community Writing Center. They're going to be joining us, talk about their Great Salt Lake anthology. And Heather May is also going to be with us, the Great Salt Lake Collaborative Project Manager. You might recognize her name from the Salt Lake Tribune of late. And she will update us on where uh, this all stands in six months as this all goes on. And also, gosh, how people can jump in and, and participate and submit questions on their own Great Salt Lake story. And there's a tour of the Spiral Jetty. And all that is pretty darn cool on the show. And if you can hear folks moving around in the background, We're it's what to, we do at Radioactive. It's a cluster going on right now. And it's things a- are tr- trying to play all at the same time. And our Zoom camera is off. But let's dig into the Great Salt Lake Collaborative. And joining us, we, like you were saying, Heather May. I get to work with Heather as uh, the representative from KRCL, Nick. And I thought we might start with her and just to have her give us a six-month update on what solutions journalism is and how this is playing out. So grab that mic and snuggle right on up there, Heather. All right. Hi, thanks for joining us. Yeah, you bet. Thanks for having me. Um, Yes, I'm the project manager of the Great Salt Lake Collaborative, and uh, we launched in January, so we are at our six-month mark. Okay, so Great Salt Lake Collaborative, again, KRCL a part of this. Yes. And we regularly have done stories and whatnot, but this is something we hear so much about, and it seems so obvious to everyone, but solutions journalism seems like that's really behind the the, the Salt Lake Collaborative. That's right. We were um, created because we received a grant from Solutions Journalism Network, and um, it is catalyzing the um, local uh, media ecosystem to work on um, exploring what are the solutions to getting more water into the lake. So we are not here to advocate for particular solutions, but the um, 10, 13 newsroom partners that we have um, their goal is to find out what works elsewhere, what what works best to get more water, to save water in agriculture, in um, outdoor water usage, in law, and um, explore what kind of insights does that provide us in Utah. 
because most of what we hear is how California went down this route and completely destroyed a lake and made a toxic, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So are there are people doing it better and doing it right, I hope? Um, that is what, you know, so the first six months of this collaborative has been really building the relationships among our 23 partners. And so um, for this next six months, we will be um, kind of buckling down and doing more solutions reporting. Um, Owens Lake is a good example of what went wrong, and uh -huh. we can still learn from that. Um, I think it provides insights on how do you um, address air quality issues when you have a dry lake bed. Um, so there are solutions there to explore. But yes, that doesn't want, we don't want to be that. So we want to explore <laughs> like, um, you know, Las Vegas, what are they doing to um, conserve water? Um, what kind of laws do they have that uh, Utah doesn't? And why don't we have them? And, and what could that mean? Vegas is actually a pretty good example of getting a community to take out lawns, conserve some water. I know everybody's seen all the fountains for those who've been to Vegas, but there are ways they are saving. So that's good. That's one positive. Thank you. I need a I need a positive example today. Russell Roots, bring you in from the Utah Film Center. Absolutely. How are you? Doing wonderful. Thanks. So Troublemakers, the story of land art. This is the Friday, the 24th, 8 p.m., Liberty Park, part of your free summer film series. Let's emphasize this is free. Folks need a ticket or just show up? Uh, they need an RSVP at okay. utahfilmcenter.org. Okay, and tell us about the movie Troublemakers, the story of land art. I mean, the name really says it all, but that's really just the the entree into the, the, the really magical world of land art in the American Southwest. You know, uh, my, I myself, I'm from Texas, so we don't have a lot of public land art like this, but um, to really understand the story of the these, these really wonderful gems like the sun tunnels and the spiral jetty, uh, the double negative and uh, the lightning field over in Quemada, New Mexico. <laughs> these are really great public arts that are just an amazing thing to have happen. And I don't know that really anybody knows the story of it. I didn't know the story of it, it but the film does a really wonderful and really uh, thoughtful job of telling the story of these pieces of art and the individuals, these really brilliant individuals who brought them to life. I mean, it's. It, yeah, I think of Cristo, right, and the amazing land art that exactly. you know. It your art becomes an environmental impact statement before you can even you know pick up a canvas, so to speak. Yeah. So Cadillac Ranch, that's in Texas. That's one example of huge land art. That's true. And then you also have uh, what's out west in Marfa, uh -huh. um, the Chinati Foundation. So you have these 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 examples, but yeah. I mean they're not they're not as well known, I think, in Texas the way that the spiral right. jetty is known here. Well, what's, what's intriguing to me is like Cadillac Ranch has been repainted, covered with graffiti. The public has taken a hand in, in evolving mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. Those, these Cadillacs that are buried, if folks are familiar with Cadillac mm -hmm. Ranch, a whole series of 1950s Cadillacs buried nose down in the desert about a third of the way. And they keep evolving because people keep painting them and whatnot. But the spiral jetty and places like that are fairly fixed. And I think that's, mm -hmm. kind, of, that's kind of cool. They're fairly fixed, and then they also have this this uh, point of like relevance and reverence, honestly, because just the Great Salt Lake itself is such a draw, and then you have the, again the sun tunnels and the spiral jetty and everything else that's with it that ends up in films, ends up in these different ways. You know, I, I can't say that Cadillac Ranch has ended up in a in a in a film or a, a number of films that I'm familiar with. Yeah, not so much, but yeah. spiral jetty for sure. Mm -hmm. So speaking of art, oh. Katie Lewis, hi. Hi. Nice to see you. Pull yourself up to the mic. Okay. Thank you. And of course, full disclosure, I know you as an English professor at the community college where I spend my days. Um, you are the director of the Salt Lake Community College Community Writing Center. 
And you are also involved in a Great Salt Lake writing project, or at least your students at the Community Writing Center. So the Community Writing Center is actually a part of the Great Salt Lake Collaborative. Okay. And since we're not a news organization, we still wanted to provide what kind of support we could in our efforts to save the lake. And one of the things that the Community Writing Center does really, really well is offer opportunities for writers in the community to share their stories. And in this case, their stories about their experiences with the Great Salt Lake. And that can be stories about activism, stories about childhood, stories from prehistory or history. Um, and so we decided that one way that we could support the Great Salt Lake Collaborative in uh, their efforts to do solution journalism that would pair well with what the Community Writing Center can do is to open up an opportunity for Utah residents, people who come to visit Utah, um, who have an affinity for the lake, some kind of love or appreciation for the lake or understanding of what's happening to the lake, to share their stories and, and their artwork and their photography that demonstrates the lake over time and what's happening to the lake now through a Great Salt Lake anthology. So we're inviting writers, artists, and photographers from across the valley and across the country or the world, if they've got some kind of connection to the lake, um, to share what it is they have to say about the lake as a way to create conversations about community involvement in saving the lake, corporate responsibility mm. for uh, their complicity in what's happening to the lake, and the other intersecting and interlocking factors that we often don't talk about regarding environmental preservation and restoration. Well said. So is this something you envision being published or going to go online or be a festival or what's going to be the result? I mean, we'll see. Okay, okay. <laughs> but um, So the launch for the call for submissions will happen when we announce the winners of the Iron Pen competition during Arts Fest on Sunday. Okay. So really quickly, the Iron Pen competition is a 24-hour writing competition um, in which writers of fiction, poetry, nonfiction um, can submit their work. We'll give them a prompt. Hint, it's related to the Great Salt Lake. Yeah. <laughs> um, and they'll have 24 hours to respond to that prompt. And then we'll select winners. The judges will select winners. And um, winners will have an opportunity to read from their iron pen winning works um, at the WordFest stage um, at 12.30 p.m. at the Arts <laughs> Festival. Wow. And then after readers have had winners have had an opportunity to read from their works, we'll announce the launch for submissions. And so that will um, the launch will take place on um, June 26th. WordFest stage again, yeah. and then um, people will have an opportunity through August 26th to submit their writings, their um, art, their photography um, for possible pub publication in the Great Salt Lake Anthology. The Community Writing Center, in collaboration with the Great Salt Lake Collaborative, will print the anthology and will host a reading gala um, where anyone whose work is um, published in the anthology will have an opportunity to share that work with the public. Cool. So, again, this needs to be, if it's art, two-dimensional because it'll be published, so yes. it's not moving images. But you're going to kick it off with that. I really love this. It makes me think of Iron Chef, right? You've got Iron Pen upcoming. Yes. Um, one more thing, if I may. Sure. Um, we do encourage people to um, produce music, um, dance. Uh, movement is a really great way to get people to have conversations about the environment that we also often don't talk about. Um, and our interconnections with the land through movement um, and the way that we experience the land through that kind of interaction. 
Um, so although that won't be printed in the anthology, the, the reading gala will offer an opportunity for them to share those other forms of communication. Oh, pretty cool. Pretty cool, very cool. And again, Community Writing Center, if folks want to get involved with the Community Writing Center, not only necessary for the Great Salt Lake, but all the other things you've got going on? Absolutely. So the Community Writing Center has four different programs, if I may really quickly. We offer writing coaching. So anyone in the community at any stage of the writing process, any kind of writing genre can come in um, and get help with their writing for half an hour every day. We also offer virtual coaching sessions, so you can do video, email, um, and phone uh, coaching sessions. We also offer writing workshops. We have a whole host of um, writing workshops that we run through semester since we sort of operate on the college's semester system. So our summer semester workshop series is great. We are also offering a whole host of workshops during Arts Fest. For example, um, a Peace Cranes workshop, a, novel, a graphic novel and novella writing workshop, math times poetry workshop, um, some poetry, uh, Spanish poetry writing workshops that will be taught in Spanish. Um, so we have a lot going on um, for workshops. And then we also have community partnerships as well as writing groups. So if you want to be part of a writing group where you can meet consistently with other writers in the area about your writing, get feedback, give feedback, we encourage you to, to utilize our programs. Again, Salt Lake Community College Community Writing Center. Pretty amazing. And again, Katie Lewis, Professor Katie Lewis, Salt Lake Community College Department of English. Pretty amazing stuff. Russell Roots. Troublemakers, the story of land art, Friday the 24th, RSVP online. How do people do that? Come see us at utahfilmcenter.org. Pretty easy. And what else do you got going on this summer for free films? Oh, wow. We've got a great collection of films. So we are also doing a film, uh, the su you know, uh, Summer of Soul with Music Meets Movies oh, cool. with KRCO. Yeah, that's in July, right? Awesome. Yeah, yeah Pretty that's fantastic in July. Movie. Uh, and then we also have uh, United Skates, which is also in July. It's a documentary about roller skating and how it lives at the heart of the black community and how that that heritage is being lost um that's july 15th and before that film we're doing a live skate around the park with slc skate babes <laughs> skate babes i love it there's a new skate loop in mill creek by the way it I was part of juneteenth over the weekend but i just wanted to loop back to you were saying an rsvp but it's just open at liberty park right yeah it's just it's just open i mean On we'd Friday? like yeah, we'd like to get a head count to kind of yeah. know how successful we're doing but you know what <laughs> come out and see a movie yeah i it, love it and again utah film center pretty cool work that all y'all do year-round heather may Great Salt Lake Collaborative Project Manager. We've been talking about the Spiral Jetty, and you've got something going on at the Spiral Jetty. Well, um, in conjunction with the film, we connected with, um, so the Great Salt Lake Institute at Westminster is, thanks Laura, is uh, part of the collaborative, and they connected us with the Utah Museum of Fine Arts, which um, does a tour of the Spiral Jetty every year, and it's going to be October 1st from 12 to 3. So at the film on Friday, I will be there. Um, I'll have a table. I can share information, swag. We've got these great brine Lick shrimp. Them, stick them tattoos. Yeah, tick, uh, <laughs> tattoos and um, pins uh, made by Pat Bagley from Salt Lake Tribune. So um, I will be there and I'll have a sign-up sheet um, for that Spiral Jetty tour and I'll connect people with um, Utah Museum of Fine Arts. Pretty then, cool. You know, Nick, we're uh, within the collaborative. There's this uh, Lake Effect podcast. We're going to share an episode here in a second. So I'm going to be at the uh, downtown farmers market on Saturday. There's okay. a live broadcast. Shanley is going to be broadcasting Saturday Breakfast Jam live. So I'll have the table and the swag, and my recording gear. So we want to hear people's stories. So 
please share. That's all a huge part of the great Salt Lake Collaborative is getting, you know, the voices of everyday folks and their experience with the lake. What's your most favorite memory or experience with the lake? My most favorite experience with the lake is when KRCL used to do sunset yes, boat rides. With cruises. We used to do cruises with food and wine and whatnot, and you could uh, Sign me you up. could go out on the lake at sunset, yeah. and it would be like glass, mirror smooth. Uh-huh. And, of course, for people who don't know the lake, you get 50 feet from shore, and all the little brine flying smell and everything goes away. Mm-hmm. And it is just glorious. We would be out on this big boat, like a houseboat, uh-huh. basically, and it's mirror flat, and it's gorgeous sunset, and you just puttered along in the lake with all KRCL listeners and fans. Pretty right. cool. I'm going to put in a plug to do that again. I don't know if we can get the boat you out You can't there, get the though, boat right? out of the marina anymore, but <laughs> hey. When, when does that happen? I know, right? You want yeah. in, let, you? Let me know. You totally Russell want wants, No, it, that's probably my favorite memory of the lake. Yeah. Seeing the bison on Antelope Island, that's pretty cool. Because mm-hmm. I know the history of the that Western movie that was shot uh-huh. on the island because they had bison because some farmer put two in a boat and took them over there. Of course, <laughs> there's no island anymore. Yeah. But that was one of the only places in the whole mm-hmm. United States that had a herd of bison in like 1922. Yeah. And they shot a Western silent movie there, which was kind of cool. What's the website where folks can reach out and uh, also see all the latest headlines? Because we're collecting them in a website, right, Heather? Yes, it's uh, greatsaltlakenews.org. Um, we have maybe 60 stories from our partner newsrooms. Uh, we have a list of events there. We have this Lake Effect um, uh, audio postcards. Mm. Um, we have an audience survey. So we're asking people, what are your questions about the lake? And we've hired a Salt Lake Community College um, intern, journalism intern. Mm. She's answering those questions. So we've got those posted. We have a lot. Excellent. Pretty cool. Heather May, you are the great Salt Lake Collaborative Project Manager. Thank you for taking time. And we'll get links and whatnot in the show notes. Russell Roots, Utah Film Center. Come back and, you know, give us a call or check in before this skate movie. I'll be here. Okay. <laughs> I'll let no, you know. I think that'd be totally cool. And again, Katie Lewis, nice to see you. Thank you for all your work at the Community Writing Center. It's amazing what the college does with folks like you at the center down by the library. All right. I think I got this. Can you hear that? I think it's I working now. A little Beach Boys for you. We'll be right back on Radioactive. My name is Alec Conkle, and I live in the East Central neighborhood of Salt Lake City. I would call myself a person who likes to bike around the lake. (laughs) That's the most important thing for me is the access to really awesome cycling around the lake that a lot of people don't even realize exists. I did a trip a couple of years ago where we circumnavigated the Bear River Bay on bikes. So the Union Pacific line runs from, I want to say like kind of near Roy, and then it goes across the lake via Promontory Point, and it's a built-up dike all along. And when I was riding along this Union Pacific access road, basically is what it is, along the train tracks there. When we got to the promontory point, um, the train had just started to come across this like dike that has been built up for a hundred years plus now. And that dike is, you can see it from the air. There's the red part of the lake and then there's the blue part of the lake. Now we've kind of separated two arms of the lake and I'm not smart enough to know the environmental impacts of that but I'm sure it's probably not ideal. But when I was riding along it and one side is dark red and the other side is blue, 
that was crazy. It's the same lake, really. It's just, you know, you look to your right and it feels like you're in some sort of like Star Wars universe. That experience really drew me into how awesome this body of water is. And I feel like maybe people look at the lake as desolate, as nothing. There's quite a bit out there. There's a sense that you're totally isolated and I don't think we really get that sense in our you know, modern city living a whole lot. But when you're out on the uh, access road of the Union Pacific in the middle of the lake or on like the western edge of Antelope Island or whatever it is, really, it's just you. And that is awesome, at least for me. This is Lake Effect from the Great Salt Lake Collaborative. Stay salty, Utah. Support for KRCL comes from Mark Miller Subaru and their Love's Diversity Initiative. Mark Miller Subaru is a proud community partner of Project Rainbow, spreading love together this Utah Pride Month. Learn more at projectrainbowutah.org or markmillersubaru.com. And welcome back to Radioactive on KRCL. I'm Laura Jones in studio with volunteer host Nick Burns. And I just love taking Wednesdays with you to talk about the Great Salt Lake and the environment. I know you really appreciate those conversations, Oh, too. definitely. And again, this conversation was aired through the Great Salt Lake Collaborative. Had some of those folks on the show earlier. And, of course, the Great Salt Lake Collaborative is a solutions journal, journalism rather initiative that partners news, education, and media organizations, including KRCL, to help inform people about the plight of the Great Salt Lake and, most importantly, what can be done to make a difference before it's too late. And you can read all the stories, greatsaltlakenews.org. That's rallies and resources, mm-hmm. Laura. Yeah, and I just want to check our Zoom conversation and see if we have Ernesto Balderas with us. Ernesto, can you hear us? It looks like we're still having some feed problems on that end. So why don't you go ahead and start with our first guest? So, gosh, so much to talk about. I don't know where to begin. Culture Connect. Joining me, Crystal Young, Executive Director of the Utah Cultural Alliance. Hi. Hi. Thanks for having me today. Oh, my pleasure. Utah Cultural Alliance, it seems massively broad. But when it comes (laughs) to the arts in Utah, it is rather broad. And I think people don't realize that. It is, yeah. We're the Industry Association for Arts, Culture, and Entertainment, which is a pretty broad umbrella, but I like to kind of put it in a nutshell of we are everything that makes Utah a wonderful place to live, work, and play that's not the mountains. Okay, that unless, works, unless right? you're doing plein air painting <laughs> up in the mountains, and then probably it's Sometimes still be that. Sometimes it happens in the mountains. Uh, <laughs> but, but seriously, you, you all, and I want to talk about Culture Connect, this event you have at the end of the month. But before we get into that, you all just released your annual report, and there were some numbers here that frankly shocked me. $90 million in sales tax generated, which you claim and say is 4% of the total sales tax revenue of the state, Three over $300 million in total tax revenue, $17.8 billion in sales. Mm-hmm. So that would be art galleries, theaters, movies. Museums, museums. exhibits, film productions, okay. uh, humanities and history organizations. All of the above. So, yeah, this is our State of UT Culture Report. Uh, This is a a collaboration between Utah Cultural Alliance, Utah Division of Arts and Museums, and Salt Lake County Arts and Culture. Okay. And we actually hire Chem Garner Policy Institute. You know, they're the preeminent economists in the state. And uh, they author this report for us. And this spells out not only the economic impact of the cultural industry, but also goes a little bit 
into academic and socioeconomic impact as well. Okay. So, but again, $17.8 billion is no small amount of change. No, we're 9% of the state's GDP. One in 12 jobs is part of the cultural and creative industries. Um, and yeah, we aren't just what makes your life wonderful, but we also provide jobs. We're yeah. part of the economy and oh. we generate tax revenue for government too. And how much of that is here along the Wasatch Front where KRCL is and how much <laughs> of that is spread around the rest of the state? It's definitely highly concentrated okay. among, among the Wasatch Front, although we do have some really great regional and rural economic drivers like Utah Shakespeare Festival to a con center for the arts. There's and and what I one of the things that I really like about Utah's cultural industry that I, I think is unique and say, you know, earlier I made the joke about we're everything that's not the mountains, but <laughs> but a, a, a lot of what happens for the cultural industry happens in our natural landscape. You know, that's one of the things that's so wonderful about Utah. And, you know, you can go to Moab Music Festival, you see classical music right in the depth of Canyonlands. Tua Con Center for the Arts is a wonderful Red Rock amphitheater. Shakespeare Festival is right out there in the great outdoors. And I just saw Utah Symphony perform outside of Zion's oh. National Park. Like, you can have an experience here that you're not going to have Hello. anywhere else in the world. Yeah. I, and again, the Utah Symphony regularly travels around and plays at all the parks. It's pretty pretty freaking amazing, actually. Um, 108 thousand jobs you mentioned how many and what large percentage that is it's really hard for me to sort of wrap my head around all the different kinds of jobs that would be art jobs i mean it's easy to think of dancers it's easy to think of filmmakers it's easy to think of somebody selling tickets at a box office but man it goes way beyond that yeah, it does. It includes graphic designers. Okay. It includes writers. Uh, it includes historians, historic preservation, which is a whole industry in and of itself, you know, architecture. Uh, all of that is part of the creative and cultural economy. So how did you build the Utah Cultural Alliance into what it is today? How did this all get started and become you know, what it is that you offer now, which is fairly huge. Well, thanks for asking. Um, it was founded in 1980 as Utah Citizens for the Arts, which is the year I was born, so I did not found UCA, okay. <laughs> contrary to popular belief. Um, but it's it's been slowly growing, and as an industry association, you know, half of what we do is lobby on behalf of the industry to elected officials across the state, and then the other half is stuff like this economic data the Culture Connect Conference. We also have NowPlayingUtah.com, which is a statewide calendar of everything to see and do across the state. And uh, we have wonderful podcasts that Ernesto, who we're trying to get on here. Yeah, we're trying to hook up. <laughs> um, manages uh, as well. Um, and so, yeah, I started working at UCA uh, about 12 years ago now. Okay. Um, it was a very tiny organization, uh, $25,000, and uh, it was our annual budget oh, at wow. the time. And and now we're a million-dollar organization with a full-time staff of four and another seven part-time staff. And as the executive director, are you the person up on the Hill meeting the legislatures? And you're like the face of lobbying, too, right? I am. I'm their primary staff lobbyist, yes. Okay. 
This is Radioactive, talking with Crystal Young, the executive director of the Utah Cultural Alliance, about all they got going on in all the arts across the state. And we want to talk about the Culture Connect coming up June 29th and 30th. But just if you're listening, and hey, I want you to keep listening. It's Democracy Now! at 7. That's with Amy Goodman. Rude Awakening with Liz. That rolls at 8. Maximum Distortion, at all, as always, with Forgash and Cody D at 10.30. And John Florence will start a brand new day at 6 a.m. So keep it tuned to your community connection, 90.9 FM KRCL. Okay, I've tried the six ways to Sunday, and now I have Ernesto on uh, my cell phone. On speakerphone? He's on, yeah, I'm going to put him on speakerphone, see if this will work without creating a loop. But hi, Ernesto, how are you? I'm doing very well, thank you. Okay, so not sure if uh, (laughs) folks out there in Radio Land can hear him, but it's going through my phone into the microphone. Ernesto, Culture Connect, uh, you're part of the Utah Cultural Alliance team. Tell us about this event and how it came about. Sure, so uh, Culture Connect really came about as uh, a continuation of the Mountain West Arts Conference. So uh, in years past, the Utah Division of Arts and Museums, headed by Vicki Bournes, sponsored and put on the Mountain West Arts Conference and in uh, seeking to expand upon the definition of what that conference served and what it did, uh, they uh, came to us and we were delighted to help partner with them to expand what was being offered and what really the cultural industry needed from this conference. So that's where uh, we start to get a little bit more of the Uh, Culture Connect Conference instead of the Mountain West Arts Conference. But again, uh, this was built off of the stepping stones that the Utah Division of Arts and Museums helped put forth uh, before. And the Mountain West and the Mountain West Arts Conference is certainly something I'm familiar with and attended in years past. But Culture Connect, are you designing this and putting this on primarily for creatives themselves or open to the public and, and anyone who wants to attend? Well, that's the interesting thing. So, uh, yes, pretty much uh, the majority of our sessions and breakouts and workshops that we have are geared toward helping creative professionals and those involved within the cultural industry, specifically cultural businesses, to help build their uh, business acumen. And so we can help them build their capacity as cultural business uh, owners and workers. But there are a variety of sessions and breakouts that people uh, in the general public would definitely benefit from hearing, such as uh, some of the the keynote speakers that we have of Robert Spielberg speaking on the effects of music and mental health or the various uh, uh, excursions that we have as part of the Culture Connect. Um, that would that would be a great opportunity for the public to also get involved. So really, anyone can get involved. Okay. With so I'm wondering, I'm wondering also, you know, COVID and the pandemic ongoing has been really hard on the performing arts and on artists everywhere. And I wonder if Culture Connect will address issues that artists and performers themselves are facing and having to cope with. I think so. Um, I, I think. Uh, one of the biggest things that we've had during the pandemic was access to funding. And yeah. so there will be a specific session on how exactly can you better 
align yourself and strategically prepare for applying for the next grant cycle or for the next funding cycle from your private foundation or a private funder, things of that nature. We also go into sessions of the things that people don't talk about when preparing to apply for grants or getting ready to prepare for a new source of funding is uh, getting your bookkeeping in order or establishing safe accounting principles that many funders require nowadays. All of those things go into that very uh, topic. So I, I think, yes, we, we do tackle some of the issues that uh, cultural industry workers and artists are, uh, went through during the pandemic and are still continuing to experience through it. Well, thank you. Crystal Young, bring you back in here. That's certainly an issue that that I think artists face, no matter what they're doing, is, you know, there are many people who can, you know, cut a great head of hair, but they can't run a hair salon. Mm -hmm. And <laughs> there are many people who can't very well or haven't learned the business side. I know at the community college, we really try to teach the business side of the performing arts. So when it comes to your work and the advocacy that the Utah Cultural Alliance does, it sounds like a major part of this is to support artists to get them to help them support themselves, really. Absolutely. It's all about building their business acumen okay. through resources like Culture Connect, but then also tools like Now Playing Utah, the podcast, are always to help us get their work out towards the public so people can know about an exhibit or a performance or things like that as well. And you also have something called Culture Bites, a yeah, podcast. Yeah, so culture, culture Bites is our podcast, and Ernesto can tell you all about it. Yeah, Ernesto. Sure. So Culture Bites is currently in our third season. It's a podcast that uh, was started a couple of years back, and it was it was being run by Crystal, and she would uh, get some guests. And so now I am the one who assumed control over that program. But really what Culture Bites now serves uh, to do is to amplify the presence of and work of cultural industry professionals and cultural businesses throughout the state of Utah. So uh, we've had guests from Artes de Mexico in Utah to mm -hmm. Creative uh, cre Clever Octopus Creative Reuse Center and many, many other organizations that are across the state. And are you the host? I am, yes. Oh, very um, cool. I do, I do serve as the host. When do oh. you drop the podcast? When does it, how often does it come out? And uh, give us a website for folks to catch up with that. Sure. So uh, the uh, podcast for the past couple of months has been taking a little bit of a break so that way we can uh, produce the episodes that are uh, within our latest project in cooperation with Utah Humanities that was sponsored by them, uh, in which we are trying to chronicle the events and experiences of BIPOC artists and cultural industry workers as they experience the pandemic and going forward what exactly does their work look like. So uh, for a little bit, we had a break, but uh, starting in July, on uh, the first week of July, we'll be releasing episodes bi-weekly as part of that Utah Humanities podcast project. And you can go to our website at, <laughs> I apologize, I did not uh, have it. I can hear typing. Specific yeah. address pulled up, but I can get it for you here in just a little bit. Sure. Well, we'd love to. Utculture.org says Crystal. But we'd love to invite you to share that here on Radioactive from time to time once those episodes start to drop. How about that, Ernesto? Wonderful. That sounds fantastic. Yes. Okay. So, Crystal, earlier you, you alluded to, you know, a campaign really more than mountains. Mm -hmm. um, 
And it sounds like from what I read about Utah Cultural Alliance, there are things that you all as a group are doing with the Office of Tourism. I'm, that kind of inter that fascinates me. I mean, I know that you can go to Kanab and you can walk down the street and you can see the pictures of the TV stars that were in wagon train and whatnot. But this sounds like it goes a bit beyond that. It does. Uh, we have been working with our friends at Office of Tourism for quite a while now to really put forward our cultural assets as part of their broader marketing initiatives. And so they've incorporated the cultural industry into their Northern Utah Plus campaign. And then they also have an opportunity where nonprofits can apply through their co-op marketing program to get dollars specifically to market their events to uh, visitors outside of Utah. And Ernesto actually manages that campaign. We call ours More Than Mountains, and it points people back to now playing Utah so that people can get the message out there that that Utah has more than just these natural assets. We also have world-class performing and, and cultural arts here. Um, and then we, one of the partnerships we have with tourism is also points back to our state of UT culture report. So there's actually some numbers in there about cultural visitation. And one of the reasons that they have worked to really include our, our cultural industry assets into what they're doing is because we're really trying to encourage Utah visitors to stay longer and spend more money when they're here in the market <laughs> and spend more money locally. By, and then go home. Yeah, yeah, and then go home. Yeah, absolutely. So, so the Office of Tourism then, and you probably have numbers on this, for instance, you know, Cedar City and the Shakespeare Festival, there probably are numbers, you know, how many people are locals and how many people travel to Utah to see a play? I hadn't really thought of that connection. Yeah, it's actually, I have it right here. You want it? Yeah, hit me. I'm uh, curious. 28.8% of Utah's total visitation is coming for cultural purposes. That's what drags them to the state. And then visitors who come for purposes of cultural visitation as part of their trip, they spend $569, which is above the average Utah trip of $531. Huh. So that's kind of showing right there that, yeah, they are spending more money when they come and do these things. And, and so all of that is part of why we've really worked to deepen our partnership with tourism. Um, they even added a, a cultural position on their board recently for Office of Tourism. And so oh, we just really value that partnership. And, and then, of course, there's actually often policy that the tourism industry and the cultural industry work on together at the Hill, especially during the pandemic, since we were such heavily impacted yeah. industries. Is, is, does your research or your work overlay or dovetail with what I might call religious tourism? Um, some of religious tourism would count in that topic, like a, a visit to Temple Square would probably still count in a visitor survey as yeah. a cultural attraction because it has historical importance for sure. But they're also coming to go to the Shakespeare Festival and to a con and the so symphony and what about our the wonderful Broadway, museums, uh, the Broadway shows. Did yeah. you see a bump, you think, as a result of the Eccles opening up and all those Broadway uh, level stuff coming through? I think it has definitely been good for the marketplace to have Eccles Theater. Even uh, though it is a Broadway theater with 3,000 seats, we don't know to go, we don't need to go there today. But no, that's <laughs> a good point that people might come to visit or research family genealogy, but then they stay to see a show mm -hmm. or also hike and do a thousand other things at once. So interesting. I, I, I would imagine that for the Office of Tourism, maybe not so much for you all, that would be a harder sell 
then we've got mountains. <laughs> Convince people to come for a play. Well, they usually still come for the mountains, the mountains first, but we're encouraging them to stay longer and spend more by going to yeah. a play when they well, come I think here. Well, I think of Sundance Resort in the summer that, you know, they have the summer activities, mountain biking and all that, but then they have those outdoor shows, yeah. right, with local talent. And so you could combine your stay at Sundance Resort with a massage and everything and, you know, have drinks at the bar and then go see the outdoor musical. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I think it all... It all overlaps. And my music festival that I mentioned earlier, uh-huh. the majority of their audience is from out of state, actually. And mm. and so our our cultural industry businesses are bringing in visitors. And you're bringing in performers, too, obviously. Oh, yes. I mean, for sure. <laughs> I mean, from Red Butte shows on down the line. Oh, Ernesto, you're on the you're on the marketing side, the public relations, strategic communication side. How has that changed over the years in terms of your work at the Utah Cultural Alliance? I would think marketing would become more and more prime. Of course, yeah. I think especially because of the the pandemic, now you have a lot of people who are looking to re-engage with the cultural industry. Yeah. And so it's, uh, I think we saw before the pandemic a lot of cultural organizations and businesses say, look at what we have and look what you can experience whereas now this this shift in narrative has been look at what you can experience again or look at this new thing that is coming out that wasn't available before because we've learned from the lessons of before the pandemic or during the pandemic of what works and what doesn't so from my from my perspective that is a a huge narrative shift that i have seen from many cultural organizations um lead out on and do you run the social media side too for the cultural alliance i do yes i operate both of our facebook and instagram accounts as well as twitter as necessary so you don't sleep wow (laughs) you know nick i saw covid case counts today in a report i get every week and uh, they're on the rise but we are in full festival season we are in full show season and so i'm just kind of curious for ernesto and crystal to kind of share their take on where they think things are given that the pandemic is not behind us crystal what do you think how does that i mean because you're going into into this two-day thing it's gonna COVID's gonna be on everyone's mind now i understand (laughs) how do i I get better as a professional when this pandemic is still hanging on but people are hungry to get back out into art and culture and uh and tourism people are hungry we actually have seen um our our membership, their consumer base has exploded since the pandemic. Sold out shows uh, full to the brim because that's what people missed when everything shut down. Um, it wasn't I'm, just being entertained. It was being entertained together. It was. There, there's something really magical about when you're experiencing it in, in a live venue, in a live theater with other human beings around you versus just sitting on your couch and listening to music on your phone or reading a book or watching a movie. Those are great experiences too. And they are all part of our vibrant cultural industry. Uh, But there's something magic about that live experience. And and I have to say it has definitely made my job easier at at the legislature Mm. because it's really, I mean, I can spout this economic data all day long and I do. It's important. We need to talk about it. But it's harder to talk about kind of that magic of that live experience. And so I just always say, hey, 
what was your life missing during that period? And and Mm -hmm. I say, what was it like to come back the first time? So Ernesto, I guess I would throw a similar question to you is when it comes to marketing and talking about the Culture Connect that you have upcoming, how does COVID or concerns about COVID, you know, play into what you do, how you market it and what people can expect? So first off, when we are accepting registrations for Culture Connect, we do have a field in which people can voluntarily say whether or not they are fully vaccinated or not. Um, So we do use that information to use the most data available to make the best educated decision for us and for our communities. Um, So with that in mind, we have always stated, especially during the pandemic, that we as the Cultural Industry Association are not necessarily the entity that is meant to tell you or anyone else what to do, but we will give you the information to make the best decision for you and your community, especially the safety of those whom you serve. So with that, I think for Culture Connect specifically, we are actively monitoring the rising case counts, just as you said, we are definitely uh, not shying away from that and we are keeping an eye out on it, but we also do realize that if people are uh, not not comfortable necessarily attending very well that's that's a decision that they can make and uh, we hope that they know that we are taking safety precautions as as much as we can from cdc guidelines from utah department of health and that we are trying to make the the best educated decision as possible we have hybrid options too that was my next question if some of this would be zoomed and for people Mm -hmm. who still wanted to participate but are at health risk and so on Nearly all sessions have the hybrid option and oh, cool. the program book spells out which are and which are not. And all of them will be recorded and available online after. Oh, okay. So people could catch up later. Mm-hmm. I know we've only got a couple minutes left, but Ernesto, I want to go back to something you mentioned earlier, the notion of black indigenous people of color artists in Utah. So for Culture Connect, um, again, that market is somewhat smaller, I would imagine, artists of color in Utah. So for Culture Connect, what what could that community of artists expect? Sure. So I think one of the, the one of the uh, misconceptions that I that I think I'd like to just tackle head on really quick is that yes, in, in terms of the general population that we have, um, BIPOC individuals make up the smallest majority of population. That's just a fact here in Utah. However, especially within the cultural industry, BIPOC artists make up a huge percentage of the cultural industry workers and cultural professionals that we have actively involved within the cultural industries. And that's why we want to make sure that they are front and center within a lot of our programming and within many of the things that we have. So um, with that, uh, we have uh, things like the live Q&A uh, production that I'm hosting. We have a couple of sessions that are geared towards small businesses and getting them on the right track for building up their businesses, and that will definitely help uh, individuals who are BIPOC-led. Ernesto Banderas, Communications Director, Utah Cultural Alliance. Thank you for taking time and rolling with our tech issues. We appreciate that, Ernesto. Yeah. <laughs> course, thank you. Thank and you. and Crystal Young, Executive Director of the Utah Cultural Alliance, thank you. 
Thanks for having us today. And Cultural Connect, that is the 29th and the 30th of this month, Mid-Valley Performing Arts Center in Taylorsville. Check out the brand new venue. Pretty cool. That's Radioactive for today. Thank you to all the guests. If you like the show tonight, hey, maybe you want to share it. And of course, you can always listen on demand. Check out the KRCL mobile app available wherever you get your apps. Or of course, you can stream online from the Radioactive Archive under the Community Affairs tab. Simply check it out, krcl.org. Maybe you got a question. Maybe you got a comment. How about a suggestion? Hit us up, radioactive at krcl. I'm Nick Burns. Next up on Radioactive tomorrow night, learn more about extremist recruitment. And also, Poetry Still Happens with Trish Hopkinson, speaking of the arts. And Friday, as always, the 24th, that'll be Aldine, KRCL's punk rock farmer. And Laura will bring you tales. Check it out. I'm Nick Burns. Democracy Now! is next. KRCL 90.9 FM, HD1, Salt Lake City, Ogden, Provo, 96.7 FM in Park City, and on the web at krcl.org. And all this time, you thought that rusted-out pickup truck was junk. Call KRCL's vehicle donation partner, Cars, Inc., to tow your car and donate the proceeds to KRCL. You could pick up a tax deduction while you're at it. Learn more about donating your vehicle to Community Radio by clicking the Support tab at krcl.org.